Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly, the podcast that is as slick and as brilliant as a Marshall Manetzi screamer. If you haven't seen it, you need to look it up. It's a banger. My name is Chris. I am your host for this week's show. Uh, Slightly later than usual, recording this week, uh, schedules and whatnot, such is life. But thank you for bearing with us. And I'm joined, as usual, by Jez and Phil this evening. Hello to you both. Hi. Hello. As long as the podcast is more successful than a French penalty shootout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Can can confirm. Well, I say can confirm. I would hope the same as well. But um, oh, there's an advert. Lovely, lovely way to start the podcast. Right, we've got some plenty to get our teeth into this week. Um, just before we sort of launch into the uh, weekend sort of storylines and and whatnot, I did want to sort of tip the hat uh, to some sad news that we received today. She's Fontaine uh, passed away today at the age of eighty nine. Um, Jez, did you, you or Phil, either, either of you want to say anything? I mean, I appreciate it's so much you could say, but maybe just to, to mark the passing of, of a legend of French football, basically. He, he's, um, I mean, obviously he's, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for most people when, when he's mentioned is that, uh, he's the record goal scorer in a single world cup and it's a record that may well never be beaten. Um, 13 goals scored in 1958 and you know, as the Guardian said today may may well have sort of carried France to victory in that World Cup if it wasn't for the fact that um, their captain had his leg broken in the in the semi-final against Brazil and there were no substitutes at the time um, so that could have been very different but he was sort of part of the great the first great France team the first great French club team in, in Reims um, my mum who apart from World Cup finals, has never shown the mildest interest in football. <laughs> when I told her today, she she was really upset and said he was my hero. I didn't even know she had football heroes, so she kept that quiet. But, you wow. know, that he's one of those players that for a certain generation of French people sort of transcended football. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, is an extremely nice guy. Um, had and kept very close ties to to French Morocco, where he was born. He he coached Morocco. Um, he coached PSG to promotion to 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 Ligue 1. So, you know, you could say that a lot of everything now is his fault. Um, but uh, yeah, generally, sort of a, a you know a proper household name in France, uh, an extremely loved character. Um, the first, you know, along with Raymond Coppa, the first truly great French footballing hero, mm. and, uh, you know, paved the way for for a, a lot of what France have achieved since. And so, I guess, you know, a couple of years, or a few years after after Coppa died, it's very much the end of an era. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, anything you wanted to add to that, Phil? No, I think just you saw um, from the the coverage um how much he meant um <clears throat> from that that generation but then as just says after his playing career as well i think i actually saw him uh, several years ago i went to a um a special event which was futsal between um the france 98 heroes versus uh current players and 
that's something that's organized. It may not happen now, but um, the association of former French internationals was a ma is a massive kind of charitable organization. And they brought out a lot of these old guys kind of half time during this event and, and the, the roof nearly came off when they were all introduced. So a massive outpouring of grief. Obviously, he was a very old man, but uh, a very um, key figure for France and some of the memories people are sharing um, in the, the various newspapers and on online are, you know, just uh, kind of explain how important he was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, sad passing, obviously, when anyone um, famous in the game leaves, but a man of such distinction. And as you both highlighted there, so many memorable sort of moments in a, in a long career is especially sad, but um, for sure, 89 is a, a good innings, as they say, and uh, we hope he rests well. Condolences to the family, of course. We will um, move on to events sort of on the pitch now. And uh, one of the games that probably stood out above all the rest at the weekend was the Le Classique between uh, Marseille and PSG. Record attendance at the Stade Velodrome and uh, ended in a 3-0 victory for PSG. So um, looking at this game as a whole... I think it's probably fair to say Marseille rolled the dice and, and came up with uh, with no sixes in this one, didn't they? Mm. They went after PSG and uh, they were punished by some very clever Christophe Galtier tactics in the end. Yeah, it was it was a bit confusing when you were watching it, but then also seeing the scoreline, if you see what I mean. Mm. Because it felt like the play was kind of equal, but the goals just weren't going in at one end. I mean, Donnarumma was good. I mean, there were two cracking saves, one um, double save um, later on. But he didn't seem to have much to do in the first half. And obviously for PSG, Kimpembe's out for the season after um, after getting his ankle um, kind of mangled at one point. But I think I'm going to steal one of Jez's lines here because he tweeted shortly after the game, this goes to show if you have two of, of three of Mbappe, Messi and Neymar, it works. Mm. It's having three of them that's a problem. And I think the Mbappe-Messi combination is probably my favourite two out of three. Not only did Mbappe get two, which is his his 200th goal for BSG. He called yeah. Cavani now. Cavani, yeah. but Messi assisted him. He assisted Messi. There was lovely hugging. It all looked pretty, you know, pretty good uh, with that kind of balance on there. And so my view was no Neymar party, um, mm. but maybe it is a bit more um, complicated than that. But it was certainly... Uh, an impressive display and shows that Galtier can do tactics uh, when he has to. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I thought he was very tactically aware in this particular game and the game that also saw Messi's 700th career goal, which is a fairly decent total overall. I think he'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, what did you What did you make of this, Jess? Because there was there's a couple of, couple of things that have come out of this game. I mean, a couple of the goals, in particular the third, was an, an absolute masterpiece from... Messi's assist to Mbappe's volleyed finish. Um, there is this talk of sort of a better side without Neymar. The the injury, as Phil mentioned there, to Kimpembe, who, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a medical expert, but I always felt like he came back way too fast 
um, from this injury in the first place, which can't have helped that recovery. But it is maybe just a, a sort of a bloodied nose to Marseille where, yes, PSG have not been very good of late, but they kind of laid down the marker in this game, didn't they? And sort of said, well, actually, when we do play and when it does click, we're still far and away the best side in, in France at the moment. Yeah, I think Marseille are a good team, of course. But um, as we've always said, you know, whether PSG win matches and win titles and things depends entirely on PSG. It doesn't really that much depend on who they play. I think it happens that Gautier picked the the right formation and the right tactics to the 3-5-2 sort of very much... Um, not plays into the hands like it's a great matchup against Marseille you pay a very high line very high press and um that was the right formation and more importantly Mbappe was back yeah. um, and the hope is that Bayern play a similar similar way they also play quite a high line um and so th- there's been lots of talk since the match and saying you know Gautier did lots of things right and Vitinha looked back to his best, although arguably that's um, maybe also partly because Neymar isn't there screaming at him every two minutes. <laughs> um, they, you know, the, the the midfield three was was sort of had a, its point was kind of a more defensive one rather than a, a more forward one. Um, the, you know, Mukieli was a gamble but played very well. Mendes was back to his best. Donnarumma, um made his sort of standard couple of very good saves, but didn't do his standard one or two rickets per match. So everything sort of went well for Galtier and played into his hands, but Mbappe was back. Yeah. And, and you know, there were a few people saying that kind of, what can you do? He's the best player in the world. Okay. Messi got his world cup and will probably win all the awards, but Mbappe is the best player in the world and and he's yeah. the one who can really make them tick. And yeah, the two of them played well together. I do think Neymar can play well with either of them as well. And as some people have been saying, if you're playing a team that sits a lot deeper, there's an argument for playing all three or having Messi and Neymar because they're the two that are going to, um, you know, thread those through balls find those those sort of cheeky little pockets of space or whatever and also if you, if a team's playing deeper then you take away one of them Mbappe's strengths which is obviously sort of running very quickly into space but it worked against Mar- it was you know perfect for Marseille and Mbappe is fabulous and yeah 200 goals in super quick time um very involved in 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 Messi's goal in two ways, the lovely back heel to release Mendes and then um, a really clever pass as well. Um, and then that that last one, you know, brilliant combination between two brilliant players, but um, fantastic volley on his weaker foot. So um, I think he is the difference maker and, and uh, not just the actual, you know, what he actually does on the pitch with the goals and assists, but it really feels like, you know, however goatee or whatever Messi is however good Neymar can be they're just a transformed team when Mbappe's there yeah um, I mean we even saw that in the first leg against Bayern Munich you know 
oh, that 20 really minutes. average for 70 minutes. And as soon yeah. as he comes on, not even anywhere near fully fit, mm. it, it, it changes the, the complexion of the match, whether it lifts his team or scares the other team. Mm. So, um, you know, I think that's that's the X factor, I guess. But I am pleased also that... that um, Gautier is getting some credit and and you know Phil mentioned a tweet I sent I also sent I think I attached that to the thread that I sent earlier where um Balolio was, was interviewed over the weekend and and about the sort of relative strengths and abilities and success of of Tudor and and Gautier and he basically said you know as we've said or alluded to with various PSG coaches over the last 10 years or so that, that you know how much of a say does he actually have is he allowed to drop one of those front three? And, Mm. um, you know, I think I'm not sure it's the worst thing in the world that, that Neymar's injured. No, no, I I just, just kind of one thing on the, as Joe said, the the setup, obviously with Kempambe going off after, what was it? 15 minutes. um, They brought on Danilo to replace him. Now he's allegedly a midfielder, but, I mean, that was something where um, you weren't sure if that was going to change uh, the mm. setup or not, but uh, they they got through it. And I have to also um, tip a hat to the Battle of the Nunos on <laughs> yeah. uh, Nuno Mendes versus Nuno Tavares, who were basically beating each other up in stages throughout that match. I thought that was a, a fascinating um Fascinating little battle I had going yeah. on there. So uh, Nuno Tavares looks a, a really um, a, a presence, shall we yeah. say, which um, <laughs> some of the rest of that team maybe aren't to that extent. So I think that was a, a very good, a very good pickup from our end. I think, I think that Danilo is an interesting one because. Yeah, so he said he's not a centre-back. And I remember Tuchel did that whole thing of sort of playing him at centre-back seemingly to make a point yeah. uh, rather than because he rated him as a centre-back. Um, I think all three centre-backs that ended up on the pitch on uh, on Sunday night are all right-footed, which I don't think Gautier is particularly happy about. And this, again, goes back to failing to to bring in Skriniar or whoever it is, whoever else they wanted to bring in. And that could be a concern against them. Um, a higher caliber team but at the same time I don't think it's a bad thing to have Danilo on the pitch because he seems to have really um sort of developed a kind of stature in the in the changing room and and certainly sort of protective of the of the likes of Vitinha I think and and willing to stand up to some of the bigger egos on and off the pitch and and mm. um, is possibly a, a a positive and balancing influence so you know that, that he's on the pitch might not be such a bad thing, but I am concerned that the three centre backs are Marquinhos, who I thought was back to also back to having a really good game and was unfortunate not to score a really good goal from open play. Yeah, Ramos we know is not the Ramos of old, and Danilo is not a centre back. No, no. Danilo like... does have the he has the kind of um, air of a man who just isn't going to deal with your shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like Jess said, in the dressing room, possibly he's just like, oh, stop talking. I'm having a shower. He's very dependable as well. And and, he, and I think he's, he's underrated as a footballer. I mean, he, he's a big physical presence, which helps. But yeah, I think that his ability to transition between defence and midfield can often help in game. But for the record, I thought 
and I know I've been banging this drum for a long time, but I will continue to bang it. Fabian Ruiz is is the best midfielder PSG have at the club alongside Verratti for me. He's just he's just so good when he's given an opportunity to play. Um, and I feel like those two together are are so key. And when you look at like the amount of money they're paying Renato Sanchez to literally do nothing, um, it's criminal that Ruiz hasn't had as many games as he should have done. And I think him and Vitinha in alongside Verratti is when fit, of course, or not suspended Verratti. Um, that that for me is key. And then playing as they did with Mbappe almost as a false nine, I thought, in this game, because he, he certainly wasn't the out and out centre forward, but he sort of it's almost like Messi and him were just told we're not really going to play with a striker as such, but you two can just kind of float. And I feel like that's that's got to be the blueprint for Bayern Munich. But those saying this is the way to play against Bayern Munich, I, I don't think there's any way in hell that, that Bayern will play as high as Marseille did. Because um, whilst I commend Tudor for having a go, it, it was suicidal at times in terms of how high they were pressing. And the only thing I would say is I wonder what happens if that, that Nuno Mendes chance goes in because I thought he took he took four hours to get the shot away. Whereas I think if he takes that two weeks ago against you know one of the, the lesser sides in the game, he probably finishes that and it's a very different game. But as it as it happens, PSG do extend their lead to eight points and they I, were the winners. I've just noticed something which I mm. hadn't noticed before because I've got the um Lekeep, uh kind of minute by minute up just to have a look at the formations. No bookings. No, no. I, I in a classic. Yeah, I had a couple of quid on on a variety of things, bookings included, and there was not a thing. I think it Did was. You say variety of things or variety of things. <laughs> Both. That, that's <laughs> what variety I heard. Is usually a, a guarantee of a booking. <laughs> I think, it, to be honest, I think it was because the the fire was out of the crowd as soon as it was, the atmosphere was electric at the start. As soon as PSG scored, fabulous tifo. Did oh you? yeah, as as is always the case. But that that crowd that crowd just died as soon as Mbappe put them in front. And when it was two 0 because it was two goals in what four minutes, and yeah. and it was almost like Marseille just kind of went, okay, well, you know, we had a nice cup win, but this isn't going to happen. So, and the second half was a bit of a procession, barring that that sort of late flurry from Marseille where they probably should have got a goal back. But yeah, I, I, I there there was never really an edge. There was a lot of sort of picking each other up off the off the floor when you know when any challenges went in and I think barring the one incident with Ramos and I forget who it was towards the end that was pretty much it was very tame yeah well there you go then yeah so I mean yeah not not much spice in this one uh, unfortunately but uh, that was obviously the big game of the weekend Um, next kind of thing I want to mention is is the form of of OGC Nice we um we've given Will Still and, and Rams huge credit over the past few weeks, and they continued on their merry way with a, another three 0 win over to lose at the weekend. But Nice got a three 0 win on Sunday away at Monaco. Um, Jez, I'll come to you first on this one. I mean, Monaco have not had a good week, which we'll come to in a second in terms of European action. But Nice, all of a sudden. Uh, with their uh, their owner in, in attendance and, and Terra Moffi notching his first two goals for his new club, Sai, and uh, a brilliant performance from from Kefren Turam. Didier Degar has he's been confirmed as the coach at the end of the season. I mean, they they have just looked a completely different outfit, don't they? It's amazing what uh, a forward thinking approach takes and uh, a bit of a fresh pair of eyes, if you will. They've just blew Monaco away in, in this game and, and they are suddenly right up there with a a chance at qualification for, for if not Champions League, for Europe. So what, what do you make of 
what's happened? Is it as simple as just a just a fresh coat of paint with Digger? I think there's an element of that. I mean, as you said, Moffy's there. He wasn't there before. Um, I think, um, I mean, talking of people who look like, you know, they don't take any shit. <laughs> I wouldn't like to get on Digger's wrong side. No. Um, <laughs> he's... Julien Lawrence was talking about it on on a Totally Football the other day and, and saying, you know, some of it is just the marked contrast with Lucien Favre, who was very sort of old school, called all players by by vous rather than to. Um, and Diga is just, you know, he's mid-30s. He's a kind of generation down who, who can sort of, um, I guess, be made un- made made to be understood or, or be able to kind of have a diff- very different kind of relationship with 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 today's current generation of players. There's an element of that, but obviously it's not just that. I think he's just got more, he seems to have more of an idea of what formation he wants, what he wants in the team. He's, he's you know, he's clearly given Schmeichel a big kick. He's, there was a very good um, feature this week on on Budawi, who I, I think is a fantastic player. And um, he, because he, is so versatile. He under Favre, he seemed to be not just Favre actually, but Vieira as well. For example, he was played in sort of every position going, um, and has kind of been a victim of his own versatility. Whereas Digar said, "Right, you're you're my holding midfielder. You stay there and you do your job brilliantly," which he has been. Um, mm-hmm. As you said, to he's he's managing to get the best out of Turam week in week out. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't work out with Delors, but Laporte has, has refound a little bit of form. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could say it's just the, the players suddenly becoming a little bit more focused or whatever, but then you've got to give Digger credit for that. And um, I think it's seven or eight games unbeaten since he's been coach. You add that to, to Will Still's 16, 17 games unbeaten. That's that's two fantastic records. And mm-hmm. um as we said, it was just it's a weird hodgepodge of a squad. You know, you just you look at each player on an individual basis and they're all very talented. It's just a strange mixture of very young players, old players who've lost British their way, players. including British players who've lost their way. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, with Delore there, sort of big egos who aren't necessarily backing it with with performances at the moment and so I suppose there's a lot of players who are sort of on a knife edge that um, could easily sort of gain confidence and become match winners or lose confidence and and become awful and and at the moment he's he's found the right the right words and the right formation and the right mix to to get the best out of them Mm. and to to sort of mitigate a little bit as Digger himself admitted, you know, Monaco played on the Thursday, played 120 minutes, had the, you know, against a very good team and and you know, had that sort of sucker punch of, of going out on penalties. So um, mm. it was a good time to play them. Yeah, it's either a very good time to play a team or a very bad time, depending on the reaction you get. But yeah, on this occasion, it was it was but, good. And, uh, yeah. Well, when you look at the last couple of matches, in the last five, Nice have beat Marseille, Monaco and Lens. Those are two, three and four in the table. It's not bad, is it? So yeah. they're, they are on a, on a bit of a tear at the moment, mm. as you say, and that looks um, promising for them. Mm. And all Maybe this is... Pushing as... up. 
So Jim Ratcliffe sits there as he's trying to buy Man United and he's watching. So it's like what, watching your, your current girlfriend whilst trying to woo your next one. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird old situation what's going on there. But maybe, just maybe, he's found the right person to to take that project, if you will, of Nice forwards. And um, cracking third kit, by the way, that one, it's, it's a banger uh, on the subject well, of kits. But... I have a shell suit that looked like that in the it, it, does, it does look very uh, Challenge Annika-esque, doesn't it, for those younger <laughs> in, the, in the chat. Um, Phil, just to touch on the European action of last week, because we mentioned there it wasn't a good week for French clubs in, in the Europa League. No, after we, we were so feeling so positive last week that things had gone well, and then, yes. And yeah, Di Maria was, was, was not the, fun. Was back in France having fun as well, wasn't he? Because Nantes went out 3 0, Monaco went out on penalties. And I, I really felt for, I have to look up the young lad's name at, at Ren, uh, name escapes me, Bellatian, Bellatian, was it? Belosian, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was in bits as uh it looked like Ren had done enough against Shakhtar and they've gone in front in extra time and then crippling to score an own goal like that. It was just any other day that flicks over the bar, you know, really, really upsetting. But it just wasn't a good night, though, was it? Really wasn't. All three of them yeah. have gone. And I think um with um Nantes against Juventus, we were taking the positives from getting a 1-1 draw at yeah. Juventus. But then Di Maria scores a hat-trick and they were kind of put back back in their box to a certain yeah. extent. But then with the others, uh, the away goals rule wouldn't have helped either of them, I don't think. But it mm. felt like it would have done, if you yeah. see what I mean. So, yeah, Monaco went down 2-3 at home to Bayer and lost on penalties and then ran 1-2-1 uh, against Shakhtar, but uh, that wasn't enough. And they also went out on penalties, so it felt like a bit of a, a letdown after, you know, a really kind of positive feelings about the first leg. But, yeah, they're all um, now feet up. On Thursdays from now on, yeah. I think um, Nantes. I mean, it's not a massive surprise. It's no. a bit the two, painful. There was a Di Maria hat trick, and the yeah. first goal. No one's stopping that. No, um, that was a bell, wasn't it? Ren. I think. Um, I mean, the only sort of consolation is you can't really begrudge a Ukrainian team <laughs> winning on the anniversary of, of the invasion. No. Um, but although he scored a nice goal at the weekend, I still do not understand what the fuss is about with Doku. Um, mm. And I think he can take a lot of, you know, if anyone needs to be crying and taking responsibility for, for not winning that match in normal time, then I think it's him. Yeah. Um, and then Monaco is just so frustrating because they put up such a good fight against, like I said, a, a really good team from the Bundesliga and and I mean it got I just don't think Nubel is up to it and I'm not you know blaming him for for how it ended but um just feel like if Monaco had a better goalkeeper that inspired more confidence than those in front of him they could be really challenging PSG this year and and possibly still in Europe as well 
Yeah, 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 fair point. And ironic, given that Bayern Munich sort of had all their problems with goalkeepers and were talking about recalling him before they got Jan Sommer. Um, it's weird when we're Monaco, because I remember Sebastic was so good for years and then he just fell off a cliff, didn't he? And I don't even know if he's still playing. I don't know where he's gone. But, yeah, it does feel like there's a, an opportunity for an upgrade in that particular department. And um, then there was one left. PSG is the only representative now. I guess the I'm only positive... Split. Say again? Subisic is at had, had. Is he really? Crikey. No offence to them, but what a fall from grace that is. Um, but yes, uh, I guess the only positive for both Ren and Monaco is they can now focus on potentially qualifying for the Champions League next year. That's their focus. And as for Nantes, uh, yeah, nice, nice enjoyment of uh, a run, but I think they're just going to focus now on making sure they don't get sucked into a relegation scrap, which is uh, almost like I planned that, but I didn't. And a nice segue into. Uh, probably the the title of this podcast, which will be the battle of the bottom. Um, it's it's all it's all getting very tight down there amongst a select group of six clubs. And uh, just to run down the reasons for that, uh, Lille got a two one win over Brest. Uh, Brest are very much in the mire. Uh, Lyon with a three one victory over Angers. Another goal for Bradley Barcola in that one. Um, I think we were all accepting that Angers of the six are are gone realistically. Yeah, um, I saw an Opta stat that they're 99.9% certain to go down and I'm pretty sure the 0.1% is rounding. There you uh, go. But they did score in that game it, and they that did, was yeah. from, from a Dejan Lovren, shall we say, casual back pass. It was absolutely dreadful. Um, <laughs> I mean, but it it was to I make it 2-1 in the end. the opposition are, you don't pass put a through ball for them. Yeah. That don't, just don't seems like bad off. football. Yeah, yeah. It's no consolation about. for Angers, but Seymour's in reasonably good yeah, goal, yeah, keep, he's uh, goal scoring form. Putting himself which, in the shop window, one suspects. Um, um, Brighton loanee, so. Oh, he's on loan, is he? Oh, I thought that was permanent. Okay, well, there you go then. Trust small, yes. small bonus for you though. <laughs> if ever he mentions a, a random player, there will be a connection. He's on loan at Brighton. Maybe he'll end up at Mets next season if he come up. Who knows? Um, but yeah, elsewhere, uh, the other results, Clermont and Strasbourg. Um, Strasbourg actually took the lead in this one through Dial, who else, uh, before Ashani's equaliser, which doesn't really do Strasbourg much benefit because they really needed that win. But speaking of needing a win, that leads us to both Osea and Ajaxio. Now, uh, unfortunately for me, Osea got a 1-0 win away at Lorient through uh, Revolution with the free kick goal there, which was... I think quite a surprising, although Lorient's form is, is definitely sort of tapering off at this stage of the season, massive win that for Osea. And then wouldn't you know it, Ajaxio then went and won the six-pointer over Trois, despite Mama Valde scoring and later being sent off. Uh, Belali and El Idrisi got the points for Ajaxio. So, um, Valde is a bit like what we said about Savanya, isn't he? Yeah, sent off or goal, one one or the other. That, that's, or, both. That's, that's, or both, yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, on that, just... Not that I was extremely bored and looking to procrastinate at work yesterday, but on um, Ajaxio, they've scored. They've only scored twenty goals this season. Eleven of them have come from Belaili and Eladrisi, mm. and six of them, so over a quarter of their goals this season, have been penalties. Yeah, um, doesn't really bode well, does it, for for goal scoring? But then, if you can eke out a win like like they have in this particular game. 
who knows? And, and Twa is the one that jumps off the page. Um, I'll, I'll come to you both on where you see it going, but would that be your thoughts, Phil? If we assume Angers are gone, we've then got three spaces to fill. Twa are just on this catastrophic losing run. Brest have all of a sudden fallen through the trap door and they're down in 18th. And then you've got this three-way battle between Ajaxio and Auxerre, uh, both on 21 points and Strasbourg just up on 22 and I'm going to be nice to you and say that Montpellier upwards should be okay, barring the catastrophe. Mm. Um, what I mean, who would you put your money on surviving? Uh, oh. who, who are the two that maybe stay up and the three that go with Unger? I think one thing when you look at Troyes is, yes, they have 19 points and they've got five losses on the spin, but they can at least score goals. Mm. Um, but... They they also can concede goals, which you know if they can do one and not the other, that at least you know there is something positive to hang your hat on. Mm. Um, I still think Strasbourg should be okay. Yes, very confusing as to what they're up to, but them and Oxford do appear to have just a bit more about them. But again, with Oxford. They don't score much either. They've only got 22. So it's a, it's a tricky one, but I think Strasbourg should be able to get out of this. So it's the other five fighting for four places. But, you know, it's um, it is because, as uh, our friend Tarek often says, if you're consistently inconsistent, it makes it very difficult to make predictions about anything. You know, there's some ups and downs there. Strasbourg at least have some ups, which um, the bottom three certainly don't at the bottom, having no wins between them in the last however long. So, yeah, yeah that would... Yeah. And I, I do hope you're right about Montpellier, who um, uh, got a draw at the weekend against... Lance, uh, yeah. with some absolutely beautiful comedy goalkeeping from Bree Samba for Oasis yeah. um, um, equaliser. I'm not entirely sure what he was doing, but it looked like a kind of star jump hop and sure thing. Hmm. But it was quite interesting. But that was that was a good point after Lance had scored on the fourth minute through your hero and everyone else's Borgini. So. Borgini, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, yeah. they can put enough of those kind of scrappy results together to to keep that clear blue water of the five point gap between them and Strasbourg. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, I'll give you the a slightly different question, Ajaz. Of those teams that are down and about there, it would you would you be looking over your shoulder if you are, let's say Claremont down. 31 points for Claremont, not 28, Montpellier 27. Then you've got this five-point gap to Strasbourg and, and 22. Is is there a team in that bottom five or six that you think could put together a good enough run uh, to to pull one of those other teams up to maybe 12th or 11th in? I mean, I'll say a two wins and two draws in the last four. Strasbourg, two wins and a draw in their last four as well. Is there an argument to say that those two could potentially drag one of Clermont, not Montpellier, back down into this? I don't think so. I mean, definitely not Clermont. Clermont have got a 10-point head start over, was there, Ajaxio. Yeah. 
I can't see them making that up, that up in what's left, like 13 matches, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think Nantes and Montpellier have got enough quality about them that they should stay stay out of it as well. I think any of the, I think Strasbourg and Strasbourg have definitely got the the ability to to string. It only takes two or three good results together, and obviously, as we keep saying, wins. just you know, focusing on the mini league between them. Mm. So I, th- I think they could definitely pull themselves out. Was well, there? I wasn't sure they they could do, but that's four matches unbeaten and two wins in a row. So mm. you know, they are on a bit of a run. And Brest is the one I worry about because I still think they've got enough quality there that they shouldn't be down there and mm. they're really poor form. So they're often the teams that end up in real trouble, the ones that are sort of, you know, rolling downhill and just can't can't stop. Yeah. I mean, the others you'd expect to be down there to an extent. Um yeah. but Brest are the ones that probably are surprised to find themselves down there and, and so may struggle to get out of it. Of, and, of the, the, and they they got a goal at the weekend against Lille, but that was an own goal. Yeah. They're not, you know, again, they have got problems in that area and are relying on other people to help them out with it. So I think the other thing as well is, is if you look at, I mean, it's only three fixtures, but you look at the next three fixtures for the two that are out of the relegation zone, quote unquote, albeit also on, on goal difference, but also in Strasbourg's next three fixtures, um, Strasbourg are at home to Brest, which obviously is massive on Sunday. Uh, they then go to the Velodrome to play Marseille, which in midweek, which, okay, might be a bit of a cannon fodder game. They then host Osea at home on the 19th. So that's massive. So then you reverse those fixtures for Osea, obviously the Strasbourg game. Before that, they play away at Nice this weekend, and then they play host to Rennes. Uh, the following week. So conceivably, you could see a couple of defeats for us there in, in two tough games there. Meanwhile, Strasbourg, you would think, could get something against Brest and they've got that big game with us there. Um, Brest are away to Strasbourg and they're at home to PSG and then away to Troyes, which is huge because Luke yeah. was three and they might already be adrift by then. And meanwhile, spare a thought for Ajaxia, who go away to inform rounds at the weekend. They then play host to Montpellier, who, you know, again should be okay and then host Monaco so I mean it's you sort of fear for Ajaxio in terms of dropping points um and then just to fill in the sort of gaps um with the other teams uh Brest's next three fixtures um as you mentioned they're just they've got that 12 game in three weeks time um Strasbourg yeah and, and PSG as you said and what was the other club we got down there? Trois was the other one I wanted to have a quick look at. Um, they are at the weekend hosting Monaco, 12 o'clock game on Sunday, which again, tough. They then go away to the Moustoir to face Lorient, who, you know, weirdly, it's one of those sort of situations where they might actually get something from that game because I have this horrible feeling Lorient are just going to go on the beach quite shortly. And then they host Brest. So, I mean, it's, yeah. It, it's suddenly all to play for um, in that particular um, sort of set of circumstances. So, yeah, it's getting tight at the bottom, said the vicar to the schoolboy. But um, just before we leave the weekend's uh, league, our fixtures behind, I will just run down the results we haven't covered. Um, the Phil mentioned the Montpellier Lance game ending in a 1 1 draw. A uh, good win for Rennes after the disappointment of midweek as they went to Nantes and won. 
as Jess said, uh, the the enigma that is Jeremy Doku did, did score a cracking goal, but yeah, he's still a, still an odd one, isn't he, to comprehend? Um, and then I think we mentioned all the other goals aside from uh, Rouse being to lose by three goals to nil. They just they just keep rolling. They do just keep rolling. And as I say, if you haven't seen that Manetsi goal, uh, it's worth looking up. It's uh, it's a banger. Um, and we, I think we did give mention to it, but that Lille win on Friday night also means that they continue to hunt down the teams directly above them. They're up to six now with a little bit of daylight to Nice. Well, so on Rats, it's not even just they're going forward. They um, Clean sheets. You know, to lose, yeah. To lose have been so free scoring. Mm. Um, and for like worth a, a, a France up there, yeah. this is second. <laughs> yeah. 4-0 up after 20 minutes tonight. <laughs> but... Um, uh, yeah, to to keep a clean sheet against against Toulouse is pretty impressive as well. Mm. Yeah, hundred percent. Did Did you want to mention that field as well? We are because we we have got Kuta yeah. Sorry, I was just um, clicking over to see because uh, as we record on Wednesday, there are a couple of Coupe de France games going on. The first of the quarterfinals was Tuesday with uh, Lyon beating Grenoble two one. Uh, goals from Barcola and Jeffinho. I still can't mm. believe that's actually his name on the um, Jeff. for Leon. But uh, Mohamed Spy got one back for Grenoble in the second half and was fighting to the end. He hasn't actually scored in the league so far, so good for him. Um, we're at currently at halftime in Montvillans, which is a 1-1. Uh, Fafana opening scoring for Lance, Andy Law getting a penalty three minutes later. And as Jess mentioned, Toulouse are 4 0 up um, against Rodez. It's 30 minutes played so far. Game over. Oakleau, Van der Boomen, Dalinga, and Chaibi. I am guessing Rodez are writing this one off. Yes. Um, pretty much. And the last one, which we won't be able to cover in any way, shape or form, will be Marseille versus Annecy. So we can talk about those next week if there are any upsets, like Rodez doing a Marseille against Montpellier and coming back to win 5-4. But I think that's highly unlikely. Yes, I, I suspect uh, Marseille will probably get through that one. And uh, the winner of the Nantes-Lance tie is, is a, a very interesting one to keep an eye on. And Obviously, with Leon going through and Toulouse going through, we are going to have a Liga heavy uh, semi-final one suspects. But uh, yes, indeed, that is the update there. A um, little bit of uh, off-the-pitch stuff to touch on before we kind of look ahead to the weekend's fixtures. Um, in the women's game, Phil, first of all, some some interesting things have been occurring. Some kind of depressing things have been occurring. Um, earlier this week, uh, Wendy Renard, the former captain of um, Libler, um, said she was retiring from international football and cited her mental health as one reason, but also made some uh, some uh, remarks about um, management. Um, that was then followed very quickly by um, Marianne Renek Katoto and Diani, both of PSG, also both stepping down. And the next day, L'Equipe was uh, full of uh, talk of a revolution and a putsch against um, Corinne Diacre, the, the, the manager of, of the French women's team. Now, if you look at Wendy Renard, she's 32. And if you look at her Wikipedia page, the Palmares section is all OL. Eight-time Champions League winner, 
that kind of thing. So you can kind of understand why for her club might be a priority. But then you look at Katoto and Diani, who are both in their 20s, both play for PSG, obviously a very big team, but not OL. Um, that struck me, and also their statements were much more pointed about their reasons being the management of the national team. Now, there has been uh, tension and a lot of critique of Diacre over the past couple of years. Um, Amandine Henri and Eugenie Lezoma aren't playing anymore. Gaetan Tine isn't playing anymore for them. In several cases, it was seen a bit as these are Leon players who aren't happy that they can't run the show. But what's come out, what seems to be the case, is that it is not that. It is the way that things are run, that the training just isn't up to snuff, that there's only three trainers, there's Diacre and her two assistants. One is the goalkeeping coach and one is the fitness coach. They're spending all their time running around and doing bleep tests instead of playing football. And that it also came out um, after this, it was uh, a journalist on Canal Foot um, said that Le Great had the then, pre I'll come on to this, the then president of the Federation had actually promised um, the players, and Renard in particular, um, that Diacre would not continue after the Euros, and then she gets uh, an extended contract and the players weren't told that was happening before it did. They found out through the press. So that was all looking extremely awkward. And then Legrette resigned, um, I think, which um, it's been referred to as his decision, but I think we all know that possibly isn't the case. So without him to defend Diacre, what is her situation going to be? Because we're five months away from the World Cup and three very important players have just said, we are not dealing with this shit anymore. Mm. And whether that means there is enough time to replace Diacre and possibly get these players back and try to sort out what is clearly a toxic atmosphere um, is, is difficult to say. I mean, it looks a bit like, you know, the French men's team all appears to be getting on well and pretty happy. So if maybe for the equilibrium of the universe, this means the women's team has to go tits up. I, but it's just a very, very difficult situation. And one that um, the Federation, i.e. the greats, um, uh, communicate after Renard, um uh, made her statement was no one individual is above the team. As many people have pointed out, the Federation has put Diacre above the team. And so that is what is going wrong at the moment, which is you know, something that after the performance in the Euros, which wasn't brilliant, but it was a, the furthest they've got, I think, in, a, in an actual competitive tournament, this World Cup was supposed to be, can they finally do it? And this is not going to help. 
yeah, spanner in the works, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's definitely sad state of affairs when any player says that they can't continue due, due to sort of their own mental health. That's never a good sign. Anything... I think I was telling that all three statements, none of them were sort of proper retirement. They were all no. kind of They're all stepping wild. back at the moment. Yeah. Or and until, then... yeah. Until, think... until change, yeah. The, the it's just very strange with Diak because I think before she came in, France were always performing very well and the world champions of friendlies, but then falling short and maybe slightly sort of losing their nerve in later stages of tournaments. And Diak obviously is um, the first female coach to to coach in in professional men's football so i think a lot of people thought you know this will be the difference maker that um and it's just yeah it's just gradually soured pretty much throughout her her tenure and and um as phil said with the likes of of you know first of all renard losing the captaincy and then Players like Henri and, and Le Sommet being dropped, Tina being dropped because she she criticised something publicly. Um, it all just feels a little bit kind of dictatorial, which I guess mm. is is okay if you back it up with the results. But even though it was a semi final, I think it was you know they they were disappointing during the Euro. They've been even though they just won this sort of friendly tournament, they were very disappointing in that as well. And their um, invitationals, that's it. The Tournoi, the Cyprus Cup, the She Believed Cup, the only things they've won have been invitations. Mm. And that's when you think about that, by how good France are or could be or have been. I mean, we've been, uh, I've been banging on about this for ages, but I mean, Bruno Beanie was an idiot. Um Bergeru, it looked a bit better for a while than Ishrafni just didn't know what he was doing. So as Jess said, the fact that you've got someone coming in who has actually coached and who was uh, a very good defender for the national team, it seemed on paper a really good idea. And it just appears that her woman management is absolutely shocking. And what we know from France teams whatever their style, you need to be a good person manager, yeah. really. And the only positive, as you both touched on there, is, I say, you would imagine Le Great sort of either quietly stepping down or being gently nudged out the door. That seems like a positive for both the men and women's game, given the sort of things that he was saying and indeed believing. Um, it, it weakens her position because... You know, in the same way that he was very attached to to Deschamps, mm-hmm. he was very attached to to her. So, True. but Deschamps it is a dangerous a precedent. Of... It is a dangerous precedent to set if you're sort of. Obviously, there's more to it than that. But if it looks like it's the kind of players getting rid of the coach, then yeah, it's just dangerous ground. So I I think she'll. I mean, there's going to be a meeting on the ninth, and I think she'll probably leave. Mm. If there's someone to replace her, but they're going to have to spin it in some way that it's not directly because of the play- what the players have done. Yeah. At, at this rate, they're going to be playing the under-19s unless they do get rid of it. Yeah. And the under-19s are good, but... <laughs> not that good. Oh, 5-0 <laughs> for two minutes. I was just, just going to say that. Actually, yes, Watson made it 5. Five difficult scores. You've got to love that. Um. 
just before we wrap up, I did just want to, well, tip of the hat seems like the completely the wrong um, wording to use in this circumstance. But for those of you who maybe don't know this circumstances or situation regarding Gazelec Ajaxio, um, they are essentially or have been wound up. Um, they are, uh, there, there is some, I should say, at the time of recording, there is sort of appeals pending and so forth and things can change, but they were liquidated as a club um, on January the 23rd. There was a um, commercial court appearance for those involved uh, and the decision to liquidate was tabled and that was sort of under advisement for a week. And then the week later, the court confirmed that that decision was happening, which led to suspension of the two senior teams um, from the Championnat National, which is where they were, uh, which is third tier of, of uh, French football and, and Regional 2. Uh, and their results were were basically expunged. So as of time of recording now, they are no longer a club. Um, they were founded in 1960, which is 63 years ago. Um, and let's not forget, they were a Ligue 1 club just, was it six, seven years ago, I think it was now? Smallest ground in the league, about 4,500 yeah. capacity, and you could basically park in the car park and get a decent view. Absolutely. And 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 if anyone wants to, there's a couple of very good YouTube uh, videos on, on the rise and fall of them. Um, one actually on in YouTube, if you just if you just sort of uh, search out the the demise of Gazelaka Jaxia's by a young YouTuber called Visa, who's who's covered this very well and has gone back through the. I mean, there is all sorts to do with this club, from mafia bosses to corruption to fraudulent payments and lack of payments in and, Corsica. I know who Never. would have thought, Jez? You know, um, to the to the point where a lot of this was going on in, in a restaurant, apparently, and it was raided by the by the police. Um, and all of this came to light, and yeah, it, it's a it's a truly shocking story. Um, and I think what, whatever you think of how the clubs run, etc., you got to feel for the, the professionals that were there and the people that were associated with the club that were very much not aware of what was going on behind closed doors. But um, yeah, they were good. Unlike Ajaxio this year, they were good fun in league as well. Mm, they really were, yeah, and surprised a lot of people, didn't they, in that first season? I mean, they got some incredible results and performances, and ultimately dropped out and I must admit until this this came out that they'd been liquidated I didn't realize they'd fallen so far down the pyramid I mean French sort of third tier is absolutely bonkers from where they were and it has to be said as well a lot of the the Covid pandemic was behind a lot of their loss of income and revenue but that doesn't change the fact that there was an awful lot of dodgy stuff going on behind closed doors involving the ownership of the club so yeah, very sad. Very sad. I wanted to touch on that because I don't think many people were even aware of what was going on there. So, as I say, do look up that YouTube video. It's, it's worth a watch to see the the rise and indeed what is currently the fall of Gazelec Ajaxio. And um, given given what we know about uh, French bureaucracy, uh, the disciplinary committee, mm. and uh, how long they take to uh, sort things out, I don't think any of us are feeling particularly. Uh, positive about their chances no absolutely I, in fact i think the latest discussion that was on like the fan forums i was reading a reddit forum earlier on today in fact there is sort of talk of a a phoenix club um so, you know so they can t continue to use the ground and potentially starting afresh from the very bottom of of the tiers but um nevertheless it's just funny how sad. bordeaux 
they pulled out all the stops, but for the likes of Luzanac and Gazalek, maybe a little. Yeah, they can't do a thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and we've seen like what happened to Bastia as well and what's happening at St Etienne. There's so many sort of clubs that were former top flight clubs that are now, you know, barely operational. So it's, yeah, it is a sad state of affairs. St Etienne will be fine. It'll be like Bordeaux. Everyone will make sure they're fine. Oh, St Etienne, yeah. St Etienne will be absolutely fine, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, and we could well see Bordeaux back in Ligue 1 next season as well. So, we have that to look forward to. Um, speaking uh, of Versailles, who was second in National, incidentally, are currently scrabbling around trying to find a ground. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that. Their, their stadium won't won't pass in Ligue 2. Yeah, uh, I have to say, Martigue, top of National, I've been to that stadium, and if that can pass, I have no idea what Versailles must look like. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably got oh. something to do with the tea and coffee making facilities or the loos or something stupid as oh, well. Oh, believe me, you do not want to see the top. No, no. Concrete concrete trough in floor situation, one yep. suspects. Um, well, there'll be none of that in Liga this weekend because all their stadiums are, of course, uh, splendid. And uh, mm. the games that we've got coming up this weekend, Friday uh, the 3rd of March, so two days' time at time recording, see, uh, we'll see Nice entertain Ostea. A big game for both teams all of a sudden at, at uh, two very different ends of the table. Uh, Lens hosts Lille. Uh, that one, I mean, I don't really need to build big that one up, do I? Uh, it's a big, big occasion when those two get together at Saturday at 4pm. The only slightly disappointing part because it would have been better as an evening game, but that's just me. PSG Nantes, however, get that slot on Saturday night, the 8pm game. PSG Will uh... Lafont have another State of Grace game like the yeah. last time? And will PSG have their eyes on Bayern Munich? I wonder. But, uh, they need to be pushing pushing to get this league wrapped up, that's for sure. Uh, Sunday, Monaco and Troyes. That's uh, Troyes, the home side, and that one, that's a 12 midday game. Montpellier uh, host Angers in one of the two o'clock games alongside Strasbourg hosting Brest in a, a big game. That one, uh, Rouse hosting Ajaxio and Toulouse against Clermont, which again, you know, both teams are clear of that scrap at the moment, but neither will want to lose that game, that's for sure, as they look over their shoulders a little bit. Uh, Lyon against L'Oreal is the 4.05 game. And then to round off the fixtures, Sunday night should be a cracker as Rennes host Marseille. Um, one suspects that that one could be quite spicy because both clubs are fighting on uh, on both fronts to, to try and qualify for the Champions League, of course. And Roseanne Park under the lights, I would imagine that will be a pretty tasty atmosphere. So they are the games that we will have to look back on next week. Uh, but that will do us for this particular week. Um, so uh, just remains for me to thank both Phil and Jez for their time and, of course, valued opinions. So thank you very much to you both. Thank you. Thank you. And as I say, we will be back for next week's fixtures to run down and we'll probably preview that PSG Bayern second leg at the same time. Not sure which day we'll be back yet because obviously schedule's pending but we will be back in your ears before you know it so it just remains for me to thank you all for listening we appreciate it as always and whichever game you are taking in whether it's uh, down at the bottom or fighting for the top enjoy your french football and we will speak to you very soon